I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's conversation is one I absolutely love because it's one of my favorite topics, mindset. Chad Busick is the owner of Championship Mindset, and he works with both corporate and athletic teams. He's a master facilitator with advanced sports technology and works with college teams at the D1, D2, D3, and NAIA levels, as well as high school and competitive teams across various sports. Chad's also a certified trainer for the Power of Positive Leadership Training. He hosts the Championship Mindset podcast and is the author of The Rock Tumbler. In this episode, we dive into Chad's championship mindset formula. We break down all the elements that are necessary for a championship mindset and which ones tend to be the hardest to attain. We also have a great discussion about how our circumstances do not define us and how our past experiences give us tools for the future. And parents, there's even some very important messages for you toward the end of this conversation. So listen up. Quickly, before we jump into this episode, though, I need to make a really exciting announcement. My new book, Life at 10 Meters, Lessons from an Olympic Champion, is now available. It's real, y'all. I can't believe it's finally here. You can go grab your copy on Amazon in paperback or ebook. We've been getting some really awesome and encouraging reviews. And here's a five-star review from Samantha. It says, required reading for any aspiring athlete. I read this in advance before I let my 11-year-old daughter. I highly recommend this book to any parent of an athlete as well as the athlete themselves. My daughter flew through this book and we were able to talk about struggles, perseverance, finding your passion, and hard work. It helps that my daughter just started taking diving lessons, but all of these traits are present in any journey. Laura brings a funny, witty perspective to the struggles, and she has such an uplifting spirit that makes you want to go out and find your own passion. You won't be disappointed if you pick up this book. Samantha, thank you for that awesome review. And it hits on a point that I really wanted to talk about. When I wrote this book, it's not some really in-depth autobiography. I wanted to make it a quick, easy read to inspire and encourage and give tools to anybody who needs them. So I really just want to encourage you, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever you're doing, whether you're an athlete, a coach, a parent, or just someone looking for encouragement, pick up this book and read it. I don't think you will be disappointed. I think Samantha's right. I think you will find some encouragement and you will be able to relate to it and maybe even read it with someone and go through this and have good discussions about how you can apply all of these lessons that I've learned from 10 meter, how you can apply that to your own life and get through the biggest challenges that you're facing and not just get through them, but come out the other side even better. Hey, if you've been enjoying The Pursuit of Gold, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star review and share your favorite episodes with your friends. All right, I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. All right, Chad Busick, welcome to The Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so excited you're joining me today. Laura, thanks so much. Looking forward to our conversation today. I love to kind of get people's backgrounds before we get into more of the current stuff that's going on. So I'd love to know kind of how you got into sports, what made you really interested in mindset and coaching people in that way? Kind of give us the background scoop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I grew up loving sports, uh, playing multiple sports, 
you know, on the playground, competitively, just a little bit of everything. And and I kind of gravitated more towards soccer was really kind of my sport that I dedicated most of my time and energy. Uh, fortunate to play, you know, through high school, played a couple of years at a Division three school uh, here in Thousand Oaks, uh, California. Um, and I knew pretty much early on. I would say probably my junior, senior year in high school that I wanted to work on the mental side of athletics. I just I saw that merge that combination of the the really good, talented players, but then the mental side of it as well. So I went and I got my degree in psychology. Um, and as I came out of college, the field of sports psychology was really kind of brand new. And I found that a lot of the schools that were offering continuing education, it was either in the physical education department or in the kinesiology department, which is really not where it belongs. So I graduated from college. I got married and I moved to San Diego and there was a small uh, private college down here called University of Humanistic Studies that offered a two-year program for a master's in marriage and family with an emphasis in sports psychology. There was a sports psychologist down here that was kind of running the program. So I went all in on it. And as things would happen, a year and a half into that program, the school went out of business. Um, And I was kind of left hanging, like, what do I do now? And the state of California kind of stepped in and said, you pretty much have two options. You can either transfer your credits to another similar school and complete out your education, or you can get a refund. Um, Well, this program was such a unicorn that I said, I'm going to go do something else. And so I walked away from that. I had to give up that you know year and a half worth of credits that I had done. Um, and I went into a, into the field of sales and I was in sales and sales management, had a very successful career uh, for 20 years and then just kind of gravitated back after I had kids and started coaching again and fell in love with the, the game and coaching um, and spent about 10 years coaching competitive soccer. And through that time, um, I connected with a gentleman, Jim Madrid, who is the founder and CEO of uh, Advanced Sports Technology. And he's someone that I had originally met in the mortgage industry. He was doing like leadership development training. And I always said to him, like, we have to do this for sports. We have to do this for sports. And as things would happen, uh, a few years later, he came back and said, we're doing it. And so it's the seven fundamentals of mental fitness. I've been a master facilitator with that for the last six or seven years, um, which has led me now to start my own company called Championship Mindset um, and a lot of other things. So it's never a straight path. And, and mine certainly hasn't been that way either. Uh, I I love that, though, that it never really left the back of your mind that that's what you really loved and that's what you wanted to do. But you had to pursue other things in the meantime. I think that's a good reminder to all of us. Like you were saying, not a straight path, um, but sometimes you just have to step and keep walking to get where you need to go eventually. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, okay. so tell me a little bit about because it kind of started as this leadership teaching, right? And how did that develop for you into a sports mindset? Or or was it very much taking the leadership things into the sports world? Or how did that kind of, yeah, work itself out? Yeah, when when he came in originally on the corporate side, it was called the 10 principles of IntelliKey. And um, it was things like take change by the hand and, and goal setting and these things. And it just immediately with my degree in psychology and the way my mind thinks, I was all in. And so I immediately like the very first break, he always tells the story He's like, as soon as the break was up, I was all over him. Like, what are we doing? How do we? And 
So even through the corporate, I became a facilitator for the 10 principles of IntelliKey and spent a couple of years training other salespeople in that. And then ultimately that came across to the world of sports. Um, a lot of the principles come across as the same as, as the fundamentals that we talk about. Um, but it's really about helping people at the core, whether we're working with corporate clients, whether we're working with athletes, coaches, teams, it's really just focusing on helping them be the best that they can be. Right. Well, how does, I guess, so how does that break down and how does it change when it becomes this very specific championship mindset, which is your brand and your company? Like, take us through that. Yeah. So championship mindset is something that I created a couple of years ago. And and really the idea of a championship mindset is I was working with all of these high level athletes and teams from, you know, division one, division two, II, division three, NAIA competitive sports. And, and, you know, when we worked with teams, we weren't setting goals to win national championships or conference championships because that was kind of a given. Um, and I believe it, that, you know, champions act and behave like champions long before they ever become champions. And so championships are one gold medals are one in all of the other things. It's those little things that we do that lead us up to give us the opportunity to win in that moment. And so I tried to define the DNA, what's behind a championship mindset. And so I really settled on six things on the top part of the formula. And it starts with talent. Um, you know, everyone has talent, everyone's talent's different, but we have to also understand that talent alone is not gonna be good enough. We need to add other things to it. So that's where we add things like hard work and that we we need to do things that are hard. The next one is attitude. Our attitude is everything. Uh, and then we add mental toughness, as you know, Laura, in, in your career and looking back, you know, not everything always goes our way. There are going to be challenges and obstacles that we face and our ability to address those and get through those. That mental toughness really matters. Um, and one of my favorites on here is teamwork because we don't have to do this alone. Um, we have a team of people, whether it's friends and family and coaches or teammates that can help support us in this path. Um, and the last one is passion. Um, and sometimes we have the wrong definition of passion. We tend to think of passion as that moment when maybe you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you're really passionate about it or, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe not any of the listeners on this call, but, um, you know, the parents on the sidelines towards the referee, you know, that's, that's not the right definition of passion for us. Uh, for us, passion I, I think that is, might be more like fury. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's and that's not in the formula, right? So, right. but passion to me is your ability to sustain effort over a long period of time. And, and think about for you just this last week competing in the U.S. trials, right? That's passion, still diving, diving and competing at the highest level against people that are half your age, right? That's the passion that we're talking about that really the effort and energy required to sustain it over a long period of time. So we take those six things at the top and then we divide it by one. And it's one game at a time. It's one season. It's one half. It's one practice. It's one play. It's one player at a time. So the top part of the formula stays the same regardless of the sport. The bottom part adjusts a little bit based on the sport or based on the group if we're working with corporate. So you know, in diving, it would be one competition. It would be one dive at a time, you know, one rotation within that dive at a time. And in life, we talk about it's in our interactions with the people that 
we interact with. Uh, And that's really a couple of things that I'll say more about that championship mindset is notice what's not on the formula. Nowhere on the formula does it say anything about the gold medals that you win, uh, the scores that you get, whether you're captain, how much you play, the goals you score. And that's because I believe that everyone can have a championship mindset regardless of the role they play on the team. And the second thing is that while we talk a lot about sports, I believe this formula for this championship mindset is the formula for success in all areas of our lives. You think about if we want to be successful in our careers, we want to be amazing husbands and mothers and fathers and brothers and family and all those things. At the end of the day, it really comes down to our talent, our hard work, our attitude, our mental toughness, our teamwork and our passion into everything that we do. Oh, I love that. I mean, that's so spot on. And I, I I talk a lot about like the things that I've learned through diving are the very things that help me in my life outside of the pool. So I, I do love this. I, I guess some of the things I want to know is like when you're talking to athletes or teams, like where does it tend to break down the most? Is there like a very common area that tends to be the hardest or does it really just depend on the person? You know, that's a great question. I, I think it's it's all of the above. Um, it's it's job or task specific. So we talk about, let's take mental toughness, for example, right? Everyone can be mentally tough when things are going their way. Right. But as soon as things don't go your way, how do you respond in that moment? So depending on the team and the environment, the culture, whatever's going on, any one of these areas could be out of whack and could be the, you know, the emphasis that we need to focus on. So it's any and all of those things that we see players and teams struggle with. But I would say everything for me starts with culture. We have to have the right culture. And, you know, so many programs that I work with, the the coaches understand and, and coaches by nature are really about X's and O's, right? They love the technical, tactical X's and O's strategy of it. And they believe a lot of times that if we just create a good vision, a good where we want to go, that's going to be the place to start. And it really doesn't start there, right? Especially with today's athletes, right? We have to build other things first. And the first thing that we have to build is we have to build emotional safety, right? If we don't feel safe in the environment that we're in, we're not going to risk anything. So we have to feel safe, right? And then beyond that safety, now we can get to other things like shared vulnerability, where we share the vulnerability within the culture, within the group that we're in. And if we can build those things, then we can get to a common vision. I like that a lot. Um, Break it down a little bit more on emotional safety. Is this like a big problem on today's teams? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because when I speak with uh, coaches and players on my podcast, I often ask them about this because the players of today is different than the players of my generation, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. The world has changed a lot in that and players need to understand. And and I love this quote that players don't care about how much you know until they know about how much you care about them. And to me, that's the starting point. We can't ask them for their best on the field if we're not going to meet them where they are as people first, not players. And that's really, really important. And I think, you know, one of the challenges I see that has come out of this last year, and honestly, and and we look at the last 14 to 16 months and what we've been through with COVID, 
it's been really earth shattering to us. Every one of us has experienced loss in some way or another. Some may be more significant with loss of you know close family members, loss of jobs, all of these things that are going on. And I think when I look back at, and I'll give you an example. I went, I went back and looked March of last year, I was set up to have probably my best year ever doing what I do, working with the teams and the groups and pretty much overnight that went away completely. And I said, well, what am I going to do in this moment? And so I thought back and I went back to the 10 principles of IntelliKey that we were talking about earlier. And the very first one is called take change by the hand. Well, Laura, have we been dealing with any change recently in the last 14 to 16 months? (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all, right? And so what we did is Jim and I, we kind of redid the curriculum a little bit. And then immediately we started doing Zoom sessions for teachers and um, athletic organizations and departments and all, you know, all over the country, people we'd never worked with before on this idea of take change by the hand. And it, uh, we didn't charge for it. We just did it because it was a huge need and the feedback was overwhelming. And when we really think about what we've gone through this last 14 to 16 months, what we've really been doing is we've been grieving. And it goes back to Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief and dying. And it's this denial and you know anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance. Well, have you experienced any of those in the last year, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe just the last week. Um, And so it's really about helping people to identify with that. And and I told coaches for the last year, because a lot of these coaches go back to the X's and O's. All of a sudden they couldn't coach anymore. Well, what do you do in that moment, right? If you put all of your eggs in just the success on the playing field, then you're left with nothing else. But the coaches that really strived, really excelled in these moments were the ones that were there for their for the people first. Right. They met the players where they were. And I told them, I said, I don't care for as a coach, if you teach them a single skill over right now during this period of time. I don't I told teachers, I don't care if you teach them a single thing about how to do a math problem. Just be there for your students, be there for your players in this moment. And I understand that we come back now, we're starting to open back up and do more things. And we may not be as far ahead. We may be farther behind, you know, from a technical tactical standpoint, but the coaches that really invested in their people, they are going to be miles ahead because they're more connected than they've ever been. Oh, for sure. For sure. I love that. I mean, I guess that's a really good point to kind of dive into with this past year. I love that you guys literally took change by the hand as you you reinvented um, your own program and we're taking that out to the people. But I guess what have you seen, I guess, in good ways of people who maybe did kind of proactively um, take change by the hand? Like what are the good things that you've seen come out of this past you know, year and a half? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I'll give you an example, an activity that we did as that we brand new activity. We'd never done it before. We created it as part of this curriculum that we were doing. And basically what we did with these groups is we asked them, we, we called it like a change timeline. And we asked them to identify five major changes that they experienced in their life prior to COVID. Right. And so they identified these five. And then we asked them to pick one of the five to share with the group, typically did it in groups of like eight to 12. So it kind of was in a, a smaller setting. And we had to share something, that, a major change that you experienced in your life. And Laura, 
you'd be amazed at some of the things that we heard from loss of family members to dealing with serious illnesses, players themselves that had recovered from cancer, some serious things that they had gone through. And we asked them to identify each person shared a little bit and said, what was the change that you went through? What made it so difficult Um, going to the feelings? How did you feel before, during and after these changes that you were going through and what helped you get through it? How did you what were the things that helped you get through that change? And each person shared in those small groups. And then we opened it up for a small group discussion and we had them just in those small groups talk about how did you feel listening to other people's stories and the challenges and the things that they had gone through. And and what did you learn from this activity that would help you in the changes that we're going through today and in the future? And it was so powerful just as connecting them and that three major themes came out of those discussions. And we probably did this 40 or 50 times over the last year with groups all over the place. And the first one was that we all have different stories. Everyone's story is different, the things that we go through, but the emotions that we deal with when we go through those things, we share the same emotions. The second thing was that when we look at our past and the things that we've gone through and the things that we've overcome, very rarely, if ever, do we get through that on our own. There is a dependence on others, whether that's your faith and and higher power in God, whether it's your family, friends, people come alongside you to help you through those moments. And the third thing was that we all have tools from our past experiences that can help us in the change that we're dealing with today. And when we connect those things, it gives them a sense of empowerment that they are able to use those skills to help them through it. And it also builds culture in those groups that we're doing. So it's been it's been amazing um, to see that and to hear the feedback from the groups we've done that with. And to answer your question, and this is what I'm so excited about right now, and and John Gordon talks about this in his book, um, The Power of Positive Leadership. And the Gallup studies did a did a survey years ago, and they asked people about the best moments in their lives and the worst moments in their lives. And what they found was that there was an 80% correlation directly between the best moments and the worst moments. That's crazy. Wow. 80% of the time that we directly connect our best and worst. That's what I'm so excited about right now. We've been through a really, really tough year. It's been so challenging on so many levels, not just COVID, but social injustice, all of these things that have gone on. That's some really tough times. I'm looking for what are the good stories? What are the great things that are going to come out of this last year? Because that's where we're at right now in this cycle. Well, that's really interesting. The correlation. I like that. And, and and going back to how you were having everybody kind of walk through their challenges and share their experiences. Um, I love that you kind of empowered them to realize that they already have the tools in their tool belts because of what they've been through. I think that's we, we don't realize that, you know, you go through something and sometimes you're just at this loss. Like, what do I do now? But I love that you're just pointing them back that like, look, what you have been through is really equipping you for what you're going to go through or what you're going through now or what's coming next. And sometimes we just want to forget the stuff that's happened to us that's been hard or bad, or it just brings up hard memories. But but like you're saying, a lot of times that is the very thing that can help you get through what you're walking through now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll share a story with you that we shared with a lot of the groups that we worked with. And, you know, when you look back at last year, it really started with the untimely passing of Kobe in the helicopter crash. Yeah. And that was really kind of the beginning of everything. And we share a story with Kobe and um, he comes out of high school straight into the NBA and at the end of his rookie season, he's playing in a playoff game and it's an elimination game in Utah must win for the Lakers. And the game is tied with a few seconds left to go in the game. And Kobe at 18, 19 years age is trusted to take the game winning shot. He brings the ball up the court. He gets to the free throw line. He elevates, he shoots and he completely misses. I, I mean, Laura, he missed everything. An air ball didn't even hit the rim. Right. So the game goes into overtime. And in overtime, five minutes of overtime, more misses, more air balls from Kobe. Three more air balls in five minutes. The last one coming with the Lakers down by three and a chance to extend the game. And he failed in that moment. Here's why I share that story is because the response that Kobe had to that moment says everything. He wanted to know why he missed and what he came up with was that he was used to playing at about 35, 40 games a year. And now he's playing in his 105th, 110th game of the season. In other words, his body wasn't prepared for that moment, right? Here's the reason that matters, right? Kobe's response was a tactical response to what was happening, not an emotional response. And when you look at the world around us today, especially over the last 14 to 16 months, we see a lot of people with an emotional response to what's happening. And what we really want to advise people on and look at is like, it's okay, we need to acknowledge our emotions, but we need to respond tactically. And that's really the path forward that we're looking after. Oh, I, I totally 1 million percent agree with that. I kind of have had a course where I walk some athletes through um, just a little bit of mindset type stuff as well. And and we talk about like grieving either um, a tough meet or a tough event or a hard time you're going through. And it's like, it's okay to grieve the loss of what you thought it was going to be that it didn't turn out to be. It's okay to grieve the dream, but don't stay there because then you just kind of, you know, it's an emotional response that you'll just kind of roll into bitterness in this like bad place. But like, give yourself a little bit of breathing room to grieve, but then look back, take the emotion out of it and exactly like, you know, analyze what happened. What can I do better? How do I move on to become better? I love that. Yeah, it's it's a great point. I was reading a couple of books recently and um, one of them was win, and win the Day. And he talks about in there that you might not be responsible for what events happened in your life, but we are response able to how we respond to those moments. And to me, that's what it's all about. It's about the response. How do we respond in those moments? Um, and I think that's really powerful to give us back the power that regardless of those tough events that we go through, we still get to choose how we respond. Right. Well, that's exactly what you were talking about on your championship mindset um, kind of chart, which people can grab on your website as well that we'll make sure to link to in the show notes. Um, but when you were talking about mental toughness and it's really, you know, like you said, anybody can be tough when things are going great, but it's when things are getting hard, how do you respond to it? Like, I kind of want to go back to this formula that you have and really kind of dive in a little deeper, like how you know, is this something you use on a daily basis? Is this something better to to use, you know, at the end of a season? Like how, how would you encourage people to like take this little chart from your website of the championship mindset and apply it to their athletic career? 
I had a, a great conversation. One of the teams that we work with is uh, Tracy Ham at UC Davis Women's Soccer. And we had her on the podcast early on. And she's got an amazing story. She was one of the first women to have her UEFA A license in the United States and um, really dives into this. And, and she has a great saying that, that she lives by, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. And to me, that's the core of the championship mindset. It's that championship mindset in all that we do. And if you look at athletes out there, very rarely will you find an athlete that has a championship mindset in the world of sports, but not in other areas of their lives. And if they do, it typically doesn't last very long because those areas. And so, so many of the athletes that we have been talking to talk about when I ask them, what does a championship mindset mean to you? And so often it's, it's everything. It's every day. It's in their sport. It's how they, you know, train. It's how they recover. It's how they interact with family, all of those things. And to me, that's really getting down to the DNA behind what makes a champion. And it gives us a kind of a roadmap to go back to follow. And I'll give you a couple of examples. We had an opportunity to interview uh, Kurt Warner last year, right after the beginning of um, COVID. And we kind of went through each of the formula and he had some great insight on it. And we'll talk with him about the talent and hard work. Um, talent. See, we think so often talent is just the measurables. How big, how strong, how fast can you run? What are the things that you can do? How do we measure those things? But so much of the time, talent has little to do with the measurables and it has to do with other things. Um, and so for an example, you know, his ability to read defenses was a talent doesn't show up anywhere on you know a scouting report but you know if you can identify where to throw the ball sooner than the other the defense can react that's a talent um and then the one that i really resonated with him was he talked about hard work we have this interesting relationship with hard work we think that we just go out and we train really hard we break a sweat and we're like wow we worked really hard and his point was, we need to work at the things that are hard for us and how few people really choose to work at the things that are hard for them. That's really the area. That's one of the biggest areas of improvement for us. I like that a lot. So, I mean, is this something like I was asking with the the chart, is this something that you think is good for somebody to evaluate like on a daily basis? Like, how am I doing? Where do I need to work? Yep, absolutely. We when we work with teams and groups, we pretty much print these out in, you know, three by five, five by seven cards. And we ask them to kind of put it up around places where they frequent, put it on their mirrors, put it by their nightstand. Um, the more that you can see this and and what it really does when we talk about cultures and environments, we start to change the language that we're using. Right now, instead of like if someone's not performing to the level Instead of getting on them, we can use words like, hey, come on, Laura, championship mindset, right? What and, and start to change that language in a positive way to bring them back. Because honestly, life is difficult. Um, life is challenging and it's hard to have a championship mindset all of the time. But it's more important is how do we recognize those times when we're not where we need to be and how quickly can we get back there? Right. Well, how does this break down when you're working with like a team or the coach of a team versus like an individual athlete? 
It's interesting because one of the things that is on here, we talked a little bit about it, um, is this idea of teamwork. And when I created the formula, there were people that kind of pushed back like, well, I'm a diver, right? I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a track athlete. I'm a cross-country runner. I don't really have a team. And I kind of immediately pushed back and said, everybody's got a team. Right. You wouldn't be you might be the person who's standing on the podium at the end with the gold medal, but you certainly didn't get there by yourself. Right. There were a ton of people around you. So, you know, it's a little bit in how we talk about the language. And and I'm a big believer that, you know, leadership happens at the individual level. Um, it has to start with you. You can't lead anybody if you can't lead yourself, right? So you have to start by having your championship mindset. And then when you have your championship mindset, that's going to be infectious. It's going to have, it's going to help bring other people into that. I love that. Well, I want to get into um, a new book that you released. I think you released it during COVID, right? Which is a, a great hobby to pick up <laughs> during a total lockdown in the world. But The Rock Tumbler, um, it is really cool. I started reading through it with my daughter and I just absolutely love the analogy that you take. Um, kind of walk us through The Rock Tumbler a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's something it's interesting. I never saw myself writing a book, honestly. Um, but going back to 2019, I kind of through my reading came across this idea of a rock tumbler and I was immediately drawn to this analogy. And for those of our listeners that may not know what a rock tumbler is or it's called a rock polisher, um, you take rocks, you put them into this cylinder, you add ingredients, you add water, grit and other rocks. And you put it in, you turn it on and it spends 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The whole process takes over a month to complete. And I use that as analogy for life because think about, especially the last 14 to 16 months, it certainly feels like we've been living in a rock tumbler. And I really kind of came along this idea that you know, how we view the world and, and more importantly, how we interact with the world greatly affects what you get out of the world. And so our perspective really matters. And so one of the core concepts that we talk about in the book is that how we view things. So may we view our circumstances or COVID or social injustice, whatever it may be, fill in the blank, not as something that we just survive or that we get through but it's something that's shaping and molding us into the people that we're meant to become. And to me, that is everything. And how many times have we heard people in, during this year, well, we just got to get through this. We just got to survive this. And to me, that, that kind of misses the point. And in some of the groups that we've been working with in some of the team sessions, I had one of the captains of a college basketball team. She had a great line, and I wish I would have had it before because I would have included it in my book. But she said, if you have to go through it, you might as well grow through it. And that's <laughs> like so that. valuable because, I mean, I look at the world today where we're at here, middle of June, coming through COVID, and how many people have just gone through the last 12 to you know 16 months and how many people have grown through it. Um, so the book is a fable. It's, it's a made up story about uh, two of my friends, Chip and Corey, who I find on one of my runs. And what we do is we pretty much follow them through the, the rock tumbler. So it's divided into three parts. It's the uh, ingredients, it's the process that happens inside the tumbler, and then it's the results. And ultimately it comes down to a couple of things. First of all, that you know, life is not about, you know, merely accepting or even embracing its challenges, uh, but rather owning our journey. And far too many people are stuck in the past 
but our past doesn't define our present, determine our future, or what we can become. Uh, And I really base the book on these two truths. The first one is that your circumstances, good or bad, do not define who you are, who you live for, who you play for. But how you respond to those circumstances will reveal who you live for, who you play for, and who you are. And the second one is that when our identity is rock solid in who we are, there's an endless possibility on what we can become. But when our identity is in these other things, there's an endless search for who we are. So that's a little bit about the Rock Tumblr. Um, it's been, it came out uh, at the end of last year. Uh, the feedback's been amazing. And, and yeah, thank you for asking me about it. Well, I love it. Well, it was funny. I was telling you earlier that um, I started reading it with my daughter and she kind of fell in love with Chip and Corey right off the bat, <laughs> who are the two rocks. Yeah. But I love it because there's 16 different lessons throughout this little book. And I they're all great. What are your kind of favorite ones or the ones that you think are the biggest takeaways? If I'm putting you on uh, the that, spot there. <laughs> that is a, that is a tough question because, you know, I kind of narrowed it down to 16. And it's interesting, 16, there's not a magic number, but literally 16 is every little step or ingredient or result within the process. So we follow, I, when I wrote the book and got the idea, I actually bought a rock tumbler and I started tumbling rocks and each step of the way was really, really important. But you know, some of my favorites, I think you know, first and foremost, it starts with your rock, right? And when you look at these rocks that go into the tumbler, they don't look like much of anything when they're in the, at the beginning, they're just, they're nothing special, but through this process, we can either be ground down, you know, chewed up and spit out and left a shell of ourselves, or we can be, you know, shaped and molded into the people that we become. And I think one of the things, so it starts first with your rock, but one of the most important things is the other rocks around us. And I think there's so much analogy here because there are people in our lives um, and think about all these rocks. Every one of them is unique. It's completely different. Um, some rocks are larger, some are smaller. And when we think about that in life, some people are big rocks in our lives that help really play a big role. Other people play a smaller role, but everyone has an impact on us. Everyone that we come in contact. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is that We're going to come across a lot of people in our life. Some people are going to teach us who we want to be. Other people are going to teach us who we don't want to be. And sometimes it's the people who teach us who we don't want to be that leave the biggest impact. And to me, that's the story of these other rocks. Um, And I think when you go back to COVID and look at that, you know, going into COVID, we kind of had this idea that we were invincible, that we were a bunch of individualistic society, everyone living in silos. That's not the case. This virus got to everybody, regardless of their socioeconomic. It didn't matter you know, what you believe, Republican, Democrat. None of that mattered. It, it still wiped through. We are way more connected than we think we are. The other thing that uh, another one of the lessons that's part of the, the process that I really like is the, the taking the break. Um, And to me, we have this false idea that we have to just keep going all the time and there's no rest. We got to keep working. And if you're not working, when you're not working, someone else is working. And when you meet, they're going to beat you. And that's not the case. We have to be better at resting. Um, And there's so much to be said about the importance of rest. Elite athletes, and and Laura, you could speak to this and I'll turn the question back to you. (laughs) Elite athletes train really, really hard, but they also put as much effort and energy into rest and recovery as they do into working out. 
For sure. And I, in your taking a break, you talk about stress plus rest equals growth. And I, I read a book called Peak Performance that talked all about that as well. And, you know, it kind of made me realize, like, especially as a, an older, more mature athlete now, um, that I had to take my recovery really seriously, where when I was younger, I could kind of get away with maybe not. But now I had to, like, prioritize that. So as hard as I was working, I had to be really intentional about how I was resting my body in order for all that hard work to actually pay off. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely that balance there. Yeah. And then the last one that I would add, which is, I think is so important. It's, it's lesson 14 and it's called run your race. And we have to understand that we are all running our own race um, and we need to evaluate our results based on our race and this comparison game that we see so much today. And whether it's through the media, social media, there's this idea that we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And, and I write about in the book that I think this is a, causing so many issues in the world today. And it's something that we really got to get our hands around because I believe that when we compare ourselves to others, one of two things happens and both of them are negative, right? The first thing happens is if you compare yourself to someone else and, and Laura, you're just, you're a better diver than they are right? Well, then now you set your standard based on them and not on your full potential and the best that you can become, okay? If you compare yourself to someone else and maybe you are not as good in that one area, well, then now you have to deal with envy and envy shuts us down. It doesn't allow us to become the best and, and it negates the things that and the talents that we were given and the areas that we are meant to excel. And so whether it's through pride or envy, comparison is going to get us and neither of those are good. And so what I really encourage in the book is that if we need to compare and that's an absolute must and we have a tendency to want to compare, then let's compare ourselves to ourselves. Are we better today than we were yesterday? Are we going to be better tomorrow than we were today? That really goes back to that championship mindset and the beauty and the freedom in that type of comparison is it has no bearing whatsoever on what Laura or anyone else is doing on their journey. I really want to encourage, that's why almost everything I put out on social media, everything I put out, my, my signature on the bottom of all my emails is own your journey. It's your journey own it to the best that you can. Well, I love that because if that's what you're doing too, you're probably going to hit whatever goals you're going after. You know what I mean? Like we, I talk to divers all the time um, about how people are often worried about what the other athletes are doing or how good they're doing, or they've been posting all these great dives on social media or whatever it is. And it's like, well, does it matter? Because when you get in the meet, you still have to do your dives, whether they get tens or they get twos, like you still have to go up there and hit your dive. And uh, I think that's a really great thing to remember is your journey and focusing on your journey is what's going to get you to your goals, not just comparing yourselves to others to see where you stand right now. So yeah, exactly. Well, one thing uh, I wanted to get to too is with this championship mindset, where I kind of want to bring the element of parents into it. Because we talked a little bit earlier about sometimes those parents um, get maybe not passionate, but maybe a different um, something emotion involved. And sometimes parents can be as, as helpful as I'm sure they want to be. Sometimes they can actually be part of the issue or part of your like roadblock. Like how would you maybe suggest for either athletes to talk to their parents or parents that are listening? Like, do you have any advice or suggestions along those lines? 
I do. Um, it's something that is near and dear to my heart. I, I will tell you that very seldom, if ever, do I come in and work with um, competitive teams in like that, you know, junior high, high school age where I do not require that we do something with the parents um, because it's just such an important part. We can give athletes and coaches amazing resources and tools, but if we don't involve the parents, then they can sabotage it quicker than anything. Right. And, and I, and I, I do a lot with parents and I, and I often share this story with them and I, and I say to the parents when I'm with them, I go, Hey, have you ever had a time where you're watching your kid compete and their head's not in the game, right? They just weren't there. Right. And all the parents, you know, their hand raises immediately like, Oh my gosh, like they're on the edge of the seat. Like, what are you going to tell me that's going to help me in that situation? Right. And I say, well, let's rewind the tape a little bit. What was the conversation like in the car ride to the game? Right. Well, you know, do you think Sally's going to start today? Cause I can't believe that she's going to start because you're so much better than she is. And, and you know, this and that, or what are you going to do in this situation? Or do you think you're going to play here? What, whatever. And then I say, well, let's rewind the tape a little bit further. What was the conversation when they came home from practice? You know, let's take soccer, for example. Well, you know, what did you work on in practice day? Oh, we worked on defense. Defense. Why would you guys work on defense? You guys need to score more goals. You're not. And so we've filled their heads with this, you know, self-talk going in. And then we wonder why their head's not in the game. <laughs> and so it's important because, and, and I truly believe me, Laura, you know, you look at whatever sport it is at the competitive level, you know, it's not that the parents don't care, right? Because they care more than anything. I mean, you'd look at the amount of time, the amount of money, the resources that they put in to be able to help, you know, their kids. It's about equipping them with the right things. Um, one of my favorite books to recommend to parents is Jessica Leahy um, in her book, The Gift of Failure. It is so impactful and not just in athletics, in school, in life and social. We need to let our kids fail. And we've gotten away from that. We've, you know, it used to be in my generation, you know, we had the helicopter parents, right? The parents that were just kind of over making sure the helicopter parents are gone, right? We now have the bulldozer parents, right? They just <laughs> plow the way for their kid. And it's like, look out world, my kid's coming through. If we have to get back to letting them struggle, it's through that gift of failure that they begin to understand the re that can help them be better in all areas of their lives. And sports at its core can be amazing. It's why I'm so passionate about what I do and working with teams because yeah, honestly, yeah, I want to help them be better divers, basketball players, volleyball players, whatever the sport may be. But here's the opportunity that I see the teams that I work with sports is a window of opportunity to teach them skills that will help them succeed in all areas of their lives. And if I came in and told, you know, 14, 16, 18 year olds that I wanted to help them goal set, or I wanted to help them, you know, with their self-talk or, or comfort zones, they'd have no time for me, but because it's centered around helping them become better in their sport, but it's the same skills that are transferable to all other areas. So for me, for parents, we have to bring them into the conversations. One of the things that I'm really critical on coaching in the competitive sports is that once you get to about 14 years of age, the coaches no longer want to talk to the parents. They only want to talk to the players. And they say, 
how does that work, right? That you haven't even equipped the, the players to have that conversation at 14, 15, 16 years old. You need to give them some of that responsibility, but we need to teach them better. And I think I'll share an example with you. Um, and, and I have two daughters. My my oldest daughter just graduated from college and my youngest daughter is a, a sophomore in college now. They both played soccer in college and, and had amazing and are having amazing, amazing college experiences. But let me give you an example. So a few years ago, my younger daughter, Morgan, was playing in her sophomore year, playing soccer at high school, and she was starting on the varsity team as a sophomore in a brand new position in a center back position. And early on in the game, in the season, like the second game of the season, we were playing against a pretty tough team. And there was a player uh, playing forward against her that was really good. She was stronger, faster. She was a senior. And early in the game, the girl gets the ball, touches it by my daughter and goes in, shoots, scores a goal. A little bit later on, she gets the same girl, gets the ball at the top of the box, does this like crazy move, literally like breaks my daughter's ankles on the field right there, right? Jeez. And shoots, scores. My daughter's like in this heap, right? Gives up two goals, same girl. After the game, the coach comes up to me and says, you know, Morgan says she's not feeling well and wants to ride home with you. Well, can't go on the bus. And so we're walking to the car and she's got her backpack. And you can tell when they've had a bad game. You just know, parents know what that car, that walk to the car is like. So she gets to the car, she throws her bag in the trunk, she slams the door and she sits down in the back seat, folds her arm and just has this mad look on her face. And I said, I got in the car and I said, what a great game. And she's like, what? Are you kidding me? Did you even watch that game? That girl completely destroyed you, destroyed me. She scored twice. Da, 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 just, I mean, she was like a fish hitting the lure and it's just zzz, off it goes. <laughs> I go, yeah. And look how much better you got today. Look how much you learned in that moment. You actually learned that that girl was fast. You had to give her no space or lots of space. And you actually shut her down and took the ball away from her several times throughout the game. But you're only focused on those moments that she got in and scored. And Morgan, you didn't even lose the game. You guys tied the game 3-3. You didn't even lose. I said, but the, the point is, is you've got yourself so focused on those things that you've literally made yourself sick. And now instead of being on the bus with your team, you're riding home with us. Right? It's those moments that we need to as parents to help walk them through that. She didn't die, right? She wasn't seriously injured um, other than, and we talk about this, right? We have our, our reptilian, I was reading a book recently and talked about our reptilian brain who is always on the, you know, the mental defense system looking for thoughts and, and threats and dangers, right? We have to do a better job of identifying those things that are real threats and those things that are just threats to our ego. And that really is the point. We have to be okay with that. And, and parents have to be okay with their kids failing and understand. And one of my, I love this quote, it said that your kid's ability on the field, in the pool, any area, how good they are, what they can do is not a direct reflection on you as a parent. And so many parents have put their identity into their kids, but how they respond, how coachable they are, what kind of teammate they are, what kind, how do they help up others when they're down? That is a direct reflection on how we are as parents. 
Uh, I love this so much. I feel like we could talk a whole other hour just on this topic. And I I think the failure thing is perfect. And, and I, I posted something like a month or so ago. I ate it on some dive on 10 meter. And I, I actually posted it, the dive I just ate it on. And because um, I wanted to talk about how important failure was and how much you learned through that process. And I remember after I smacked on the water, I got up and and this one little diver um, who wasn't on our team, we were like at a visiting pool and, and she goes, oh my goodness, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, my ego's a little bruised. But other than that, I'm, I'm okay. I figured out, you know, what I did wrong. And so, um, you know, the next dive was, was much better because I, I figured out what I did wrong and, and I fixed it. But I love that because parents are always asking me, how can I make my kid more passionate about their sport? And I'm like, you, you can't. The best thing that you can do is let them fall down, let them fail and see if they want to get back up. Like they, it's got to be something that comes from within them. You can teach them all the things, but ultimately it comes down to them wanting to do it. You can't want it for them, you know, and that's such a hard thing. I think sometimes for parents to recognize as well. Yeah, I think, and I will address one other thing regarding parents. They, they did a study. This was, I think it was like a 15 year study across all sports everywhere. And they asked kids what was their least favorite part about playing competitive sports and far and away by far the number one thing was the car ride home after the game. Oh man. And it was just, and I mean, I've told, and I told you earlier that when I come in and I work with teams and I say, I'm going to work with the parents. I'll ask teams. Like I was doing this with a team in Arizona and I had 18 girls on the team. Most of them were in that like 15 year age. And I said to them, I, and they're like, oh my goodness, you're going to talk to our parents. And I asked them, I said, okay, be honest. Are you more excited about the seven fundamentals of mental fitness that we're going to help you with? Or are you more excited that I'm going to be talking to your parents? <laughs> and like over half of them were more excited. I was talking to my parents and one girl says, Hey, my dad will be the really tall guy in the back wearing the hat. Please make sure you talk to him. Right. And it's, and we joke about it, but the reality is, is there's no doubt that parents want the best for their kids, right? right. Well, they wouldn't spend the time and the energy. I just think they struggle with how to do that sometimes. Yeah. The most powerful thing that you can say to your athlete when they're done competing is I just really enjoy or I love watching you compete. I love watching you play because I can tell you, Laura, there will be time not to. I mean, my older daughter just finished her career. She's now officially retired and watching her senior day and her last game. And it kind of gets me emotionally even thinking about there will become a time where we will no longer be able to say that we have that soccer game, that diving meet, whatever it is on our calendar to watch our kids enjoy those moments, be there for them in that time. Tell them how much you enjoy watching them compete. Um, those are the most powerful things. And it's interesting when they, as part of the survey, you know who they, the athletes really, really enjoy having at their games? Who? Grandparents. Oh yeah. Cause the grandparents aren't judgmental, right? They're one level disconnected from it. And they're just happy to be on the sidelines. They're just happy to be there to watch their grandson or granddaughter compete May we have that attitude towards and that relationship with our kids as they compete. Um, I think that's so powerful. 
Ah, this is so good because my kids are just kind of getting into finding out what their thing is. And so this is good for me as a parent of upcoming athletes. And so thank you for that. Okay, Chad, I love I love everything about your championship mindset. Um, I love the rock tumbler. I'm definitely reading it with my kids. I told my husband this is our summer reading program with our children. Um, and you also have a podcast, championshipmindset.net, um, I think is where everything, can we find everything there? Yeah. So the website championshipmindset.net, you can find everything there. You can also podcast championshipmindsetpodcast.com. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, episode with Laura is coming up in a couple of weeks. So excited for that as well. Um, And then you can, you can find me on social media. Uh, Twitter is at champ underscore mindset. And then Facebook and Instagram are at championship mindset LLC. Awesome. Thank you. We'll make sure to link to all of those in the show notes so people can just click on it right away and find you. Chad, thank you so much for coming on today, for encouraging us and really giving us some great tools that we can apply to our sports, our lives. Hopefully our parents can maybe apply those as well. And even, you know, in our life outside of the arena. So thank you so much for being here today. Laura, I appreciate it. Enjoy the conversation. And uh, thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.